Now, if you got your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 2. And this passage is just really ministered to my heart this week. And it's kind of funny because I'll be honest with you, as you start jumping into it, it's one of those passages where you almost begin to scratch your head. Going, what's he doing here? Now, Philippians is a very personal letter. We get that. Uh, It's probably one of the most personal letters that's there. But Paul is in the midst of these big themes, these powerful themes. I mean, you think about how in chapter 1, verse 27, he started, live as a citizen of heaven. And how do you do that? Okay, chapter 2. Well, you do it by living in unity. You reflect the Godhead in your unity. Well, how do you live in unity? Well, you live in humility towards one another. Oh, by the way, the great example of that is Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then from there, he comes out of how we live Jesus in our life, and we share Jesus with our lips, and we do it all as that living sacrifice. Remember, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and right in the middle of all this incredible stuff you get to verse 19 it's almost like instead of but it should be oh by the way i hope in the lord jesus to send timothy to you shortly so that i may be encouraged when i learn of your condition for i have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests and not those of christ jesus but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. Now, again, you, you know, Paul has different letters made these little asides. Oh, tell somebody I said, hey, right? It's usually in the last chapter, the last few words of the book, Romans, uh, R- Romans 16 or 1 Corinthians. You know, it's right there at the end. He'll, he'll do that. But here he is in the middle of the book. I mean, right in the middle of the book, in the middle of these big themes. And it's, oh, by the way, I'm planning to send Timothy to you. And I'm sending Epaphras with this letter if we kept reading. And you kind of go... Why? Why here? Ah. But as you begin to delve into it, because he's going to tell us four things about Timothy. And I think what he's doing is he is setting Timothy and Epaphroditus up as these two guys that they know, that they're well acquainted with, who, by the way, are living as citizens of heaven. Oh, we talked about living in humility. Let me remind you of Timothy. We talked about what it means to be a living sacrifice. Let's talk about this. So four qualities. Four qualities that ought to be in your life and my life as a disciple that he points out about Timothy. The first is this idea of being humble. That Timothy cared more about others than himself. It's there in Verse 20, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Christ. So he says, Timothy has got this humble heart where he really cares more about others. Now, doesn't that like ring a little bell? Maybe something Paul's already said? And you go back up and you, you look at verse 3 and you go, whoa. 
He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what Timothy has done. Timothy, his mind is, I'm thinking about others. And I'm looking at their needs as being more important. And, and oh, by the way, those of you in Philippi, you know that about Timothy. You know that's his character. This is exactly what I've been calling you to. He has a humble heart. And he sees you and your needs as more important than him. And I love the term that he used here. He genuinely concerned. Genuinely concerned. What's interesting, that word concerned, I don't want to bore you with the Greek, but it's a word that denotes an emotional piece. In fact, the same Greek word is translated in Philippians 4 with the word anxious in our language. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Same, same Greek word. And when you think about being anxious, I think you get a sense of it. When you're anxious, you're uptight. When you're anxious, it's affecting you physically. When you're anxious, it's heavy on you. And that's his whole point. He's genuinely concerned. This weighs upon him. Your spiritual health, your care. This is Why? Because your needs are more important than him. Now, let's be honest, folk. Isn't it easy for us, especially as Christians, to at times fake true concern or is it just me i don't know maybe it's just me right but you know you come to church and all oh, you grieve hey how you doing and and by the time they can tell you how they're doing you're on to somebody else right it's just it's that way and, and it's easy just to kind of put on that smile and and to listen and whatever but your your mind's a million miles away and maybe Maybe this is a deep, dark secret you don't want to know, but it's especially easy as a pastor to do that because we get real good at showing concern. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, and we can put our hand right on their shoulder. And, they, and again, I'm, I'm thinking about something two days away. Why? Because that concerns me. It doesn't concern them. But when you're truly humble in heart as a disciple, the cares and the concerns of others are the things that, that are heavy upon your heart. They're the things that, that get your attention. They're those things that, and, and that's who Timothy was. He genuinely cared. He was focused on the things of the Lord. Now, now Paul says something here that I want, I want to address. He says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who genuinely is concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Now, you read that and you kind of got to ask, was Paul throwing Silas and Dr. Luke and Epaphroditus? Was he throwing them all under the bus here? That Timothy's the only one? And when he talks about that they all seek their own interests, does again, doesn't that ring a bell? And, and to me it did. And if you go back to chapter 1, verse 17, you remember when Paul was talking about, hey, there's people preaching the gospel. Some are doing it out of good motives, but some are doing it out of selfish ambition. I think that's who Paul's referring to here. 
He's referring to others who are actually doing ministry, but it's really about them. It's really about what they want to get out of it. It's not the same heart that Timothy has. So let me ask you, as a disciple of Jesus, do you have that humble heart where you genuinely care and concern about others? Were their needs are heavier upon you than your own? Did you carry that weight with them? That's Timothy. That's what it means to live as a citizen of heaven. The second thing that we see is that he was tested. That, that's verse 22. But you know of his proven worth. You see, Timothy had been through the trials. Timothy was not fly by night. Timothy had proven both to the church at Philippi and to, to Paul through all of the difficulty that his commitment to Jesus, that his faith was real, that that, that genuine spirit of caring about other people is there. He had been tested. In fact, the word there, proven, it was the word that they would use about testing uh, metals, you know. A lot of times they'd make stuff cheap. It would be some metal and some other, you know, filler stuff. Well, how did you test it? You tested it by putting it in the fire. And, and the metals would remain, but the other things would be put up. That's that whole idea. It's the same one you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about in that day of judgment, our stuff will be tested by fire to see if it's, you know, gold or silver, or precious stone or wood, hay and stubble. It's that same idea. There's a testing that happens in, in the midst of life as you and I go through the trials that reveal the true metal of our spiritual life. When we walk through the hard times, is our, is our faith real? Do, do we continue to walk with Jesus during, during this difficult time? You, have you ever heard the expression, the proof is in the pudding? Have you ever heard that or is that just me? All right, are you all awake or what? Come on, give me some feedback here. All right. Well, I like the saying, but it dawned on me one day, I used it a lot, and I had no idea what it meant. The proof is in the pudding. So I actually did some research. Great thing having the internet these days, right? The proof is in the pudding actually comes from a longer statement that the proof of the pudding is the eating thereof. Now that makes sense. Because if you go to a buffet, you'll know they always put pudding out. And it often looks good, especially if it's chocolate, and it smells good. But the proof of the pudding is not in the look. The proof of the pudding is not in the smell. The proof of the pudding is in the taste. And by the way, if you're at a buffet, it probably doesn't taste very good. That's been my experience, right? It looks good. It doesn't deliver what's promised. Well, the proof of our faith is found in the testing. I heard somebody say one, and it's true, that if your faith is no good in the dark, it's really not very good in the daytime either. If your faith is not strong in the storm, it's not very strong in the calm days. You think of what Peter, when he was writing to those first century believers who were going through it in 1 Peter 1, he says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being distressed by various trials, manifold experiences of trials, so that the proof of your faith being much more precious than gold, even gold that has been tested by the fire, will come to the praise of the Lord. You see, 
as a disciple, one of the things that God is going to do in my life and in your life is he's going to test us. He's going to test our faith. It's an important process for us to know how strong our faith is and, and what we need to build towards. And yet, isn't it interesting that as a disciple, God wants to test my faith. He wants to purify my faith. He wants to strengthen my faith. And he does that through trials. Isn't it interesting that we as believers spend so much time praying to stay away from trials? I mean, have you ever listened to your own prayers? I was challenged to do that a few years ago. And I found that most of my prayer was, God, keep me safe, right? Keep me protected. You know, if you're really spiritual, put this wall, a hedge of protection around me, that type of thing. And I pray that for everybody. And we pray that for ourselves. Why? Because we don't want to go through the trials. Trials hurt. Testing is difficult. Nobody signs up for that. And yet the reality is, is that God in our life is going to take us through the difficult times. And the difficult times are going to be the things that will test, it will prove our faith. It will be that thing that will strengthen our faith. And so we've got to be willing to walk through it. A.W. Tozer, I heard this quote years ago, and I thought maybe he overstated it. And maybe even to a point, but... Man, the more I go, the more true it is. It says that God will never use a person greatly until he wounds that person deeply. Why? It's the testing of our faith. It's proving the sincerity both to us and to others around us. It's an important piece. So here's the question to us as believers, as disciples of Christ, are we willing to walk through the testing? And by willing doesn't mean that you have a choice, right? <laughs> None of us sign up for it. It happens, but how are we going to respond? Are we going to get mad at God? Are we going to get angry? Why me? Why am I going through this? Why all this? Or are we going to say, okay, God, somehow, some way, you've let this into my life. And so, Lord, what do you need to do in my life? Lord, I want you to accomplish that. It's kind of like Jesus going to the cross. God, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, your will be done. It's the willingness to say, God, what you need to teach me, what you need to do to strengthen me, then God, I'm willing to do that. You know, we sing those songs. They're good songs. I like them. There was another in the fire, right? We love to sing that one. Yet let's remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing the fire, there was no fourth guy in there then. It was just them going into that fiery furnace. It wasn't until they were furnace that the fourth guy showed up, right? We sing, I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. That's a great song to sing. That's a lot harder song to live, though, isn't it? But it is the testing that God wants to do in your life and my life to prove our faith, to help purify our faith, to continue to make us more as a disciple of Christ. Are we willing to say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you that you will be with me. I trust you that you'll keep your eye on that thermostat, that it doesn't quite get too hot. God, I will trust you to do what you want to do in my life. The third quality that we see is that he was committed same verse, 22, for you know of his proven worth that he served with me. That word served there actually could be literally translated, he slaved with me. 
I mean, Timothy served Paul and Jesus faithfully. It was hard work and service to him. I mean, Timothy was no fly by night. He had been through the battles. He had been through the testing. He had been with Paul for, for 10 some odd years, the best we understand. But he was committed. You know, we talked about, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That was, that was Timothy. God, whatever you call me to do, I'll do. Whatever you ask me to go, I'll go. I mean, think about it from a practical perspective here. I mean, go back up to verse 19. But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. Why? So that I also may be encouraged when I learn your condition. So he is going to send Timothy to the church at Philippi to see how they are doing so that he can now tell Paul how they're doing so Paul can be encouraged. That's the mission, right? Think about it. Philippi from Rome, as the crow flies, 800 miles. So, being the very practical pastor that I am, right? I went to Google. What's 800 miles from Phoenix? Closest I could find that you and I would actually recognize is 840, so it's a hair longer. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. 840 miles as the crow flies. Now, let's again put it in context. 60-ish AD, they don't have planes. They don't have trains. They don't have automobiles. This is by foot. In fact, if you look... It would have been by boat. It would have been by walking. How long would it take for you and I, without any of this stuff, to get to Oklahoma City, to show up at a church? Hey, how you guys doing? Paul wants to know. Great, I'll see you. And then we head back to Phoenix, right? But, but Timothy, that's what he would have done. That's where he would have gone. Because his heart was, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Wherever you ask me to go, I'll go. This is at the very heart of what it means to be a disciple. It means that we work hard. We're, we're willing to count the cost. And for us, it's really not the cost. It's the investment. But we'll, we'll go. Heard somebody say once that, you know, ministry that costs us nothing usually accomplishes little. It's hard work. Think of our Sunday school teachers that right now are up presenting the word of God to our children. You know, this week, they've had to take time to look at that lesson and think about that lesson. And how can they communicate that truth to those little kids? And they've prayed and they've sweated. It, it's hard. It doesn't matter. When you're a disciple of Jesus, we pick up our cross and we follow him, Right? We crawl up on the altar and say, God, here I am, a living sacrifice. By the way, here's the knife. You do what you do because I'm just going to follow you. That is the heart of Timothy. That's, that's what he calls you and I to. The quality of a disciple is that we're committed. And the last one is this. Oh, so the question, are we willing? Have we made that commitment? Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, that's what I'll do. The last one is loyal. There's a loyalty here. Again, end of verse 22. Like a child serving his father, Timothy exhibited great loyalty. He had been with Paul for 10 plus years. Loyalty is one of those, those issues that we don't value too much in, in our society. 
uh, it's not seen as the virtue it once was. I I don't know why I was thinking about this. I mean, I think maybe sports has had something to play into it. I mean, when when I was growing up, so, you know, for those of you that are a little more mature like me, right, uh, we remember when sports teams would draft a player and that player would play for them all their career, right? Like the Cubs, had Ernie Banks. He was Mr. Cub. He was always there. Uh, Ron Santo. I mean, these, and, and then he got into the 70s and you had free agency come and I get, you know, they wanted to, to maximize their dollars and I get all that and that's good, but it's just now that they leave. There, there's no sense of that loyalty. And quite honestly, in our culture, there's not much sense of loyalty. But I want to suggest to you that loyalty is a Christ-like characteristic. Jesus was loyal. I mean, think about him with his disciples. Here he, as he's being interrogated there in Caiaphas' backyard, he's watching Peter as Peter denies him three times. And yet when he's raised from the dead, what's one of the first things he says? Go tell the disciples, and especially Peter, that I'm going to go ahead and meet them in Galilee. Or there's Thomas, you know, the one guy who doesn't show up for the meeting post-resurrection. And he hears all about, oh, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And he's going, man, I saw him die. I'm not going to believe unless I can put my finger in, his, in the holes in his hand and my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe. So a week later, Jesus shows up at the meeting. Thomas is there. And it's, hey, Thomas, come here. Come here. Bring your finger. Come here. <laughs> Didn't ridicule him. He's loyal. I tell you, Jesus has been sure loyal to me. Even when I have turned my back, even though I've known better and I've chosen to go the wrong way, he's, he's always stood there. Loyalty is a Christ-like characteristic. It's devotion to somebody. It's, it's not giving up on them. That's the heart. And Timothy was a loyal companion for 10 years. Now, let me ask you. I mean, again, what's his... Do you think that the Apostle Paul was an easy guy to work for? I mean, think about it. I mean, obviously he was a godly guy, but he wasn't perfect. And I got to be honest, as I was processing that this week, I kind of got thinking, you know, Paul hits me a little bit as a hair intense at times, right? You know, almost like if there's an easy way and there's a hard way, let's take the hard way because that makes a better story. Uh Paul's kind of black and white, right? There's not a lot of gray with Paul. Paul's filter doesn't seem to be turned on high. He just kind of once says what he thinks. I'm not sure that Paul, now, and if we get to heaven and Timothy tells me I'm all wrong, I will apologize to him. But my sense is that I'm not sure he was the easiest guy to work for. And yet for Timothy, for, for 10 years, And Timothy, I'm sure, would have had opportunity to follow after Silas or go with Barnabas or go with with others. But there he is. There's a a loyalty there to Paul because it was through Paul he came to faith in Christ. It was Paul who invested. It's Paul who, by the way, is going to hand the mantle to him. As a child with his father, and again, up until maybe, what, 50, 70 years ago in America, that's pretty much how people did it. You know, their father would have a business, their son would grow up in the business, and the plan was they would, they would work together. They're loyal. You know, I was, I was privileged. It wasn't necessarily a family business, but 
I got to work with my father for 15 years. And I got to be honest with you, he was a pretty good boss, but I didn't always agree with him. And I didn't always understand why he did what he did. And there was sometimes I'd get frustrated with it. But I can tell you this, he, he had no more loyal employee in all those years. Why? Because he's my dad. And I loved him. And that's this idea of, of loyalty. Timothy had been a loyal companion. And you and I, as we go about and we mature, one of the things that I think God calls us to, it's a, it's a characteristic of Jesus, is that, that we, we grow in our loyalty. Now, not, not blind loyalty. You're not enabling bad behavior. There's times when God calls and, and you go a different direction, but the you have the conversations, you do it well. But as Christians, we so often don't. We get mad, we get upset, because the truth is, there's nobody that's perfect. I've seen Christians, you know, have had mentors in their life, but their mentor's not perfect. And now the person who's been poured in all these years gets hurt, they get offended, they, they get mad, they stomp off. And it's like, wow. In fact, even in my own life, I had a guy, and I've shared with you about him before. He was a very significant piece of my life. He was a, he was a pastor, a preacher. He had a camp, and man, as a young man, he would invite me to come and preach when, you know, he probably shouldn't and nobody else would, and he invested a boatload of time and energy into me, and, I, and I've, I've told this story zillions of times because I, he, he just was a you know, next to my dad, probably the next biggest influence in my life in ministry. But honestly, the last time we were together, it didn't end really great. You know, I, I felt like he hadn't been all up front with me, and I'm sure I didn't respond real well. And, and again, it didn't end with harsh words, but it just kind of ended. And a few years ago, I, God just began to grip my heart of saying, Steve, you know, because I shared my testimony in him. I've been talking about pouring into others, and I used him. And I said, and, and it's like the Holy Spirit kept saying, Steve, but you, you've told all these people this. You haven't told him that. So I sat down, and I wrote a letter, and I just said, Billy, I want you to understand uh, You've meant so much in my life in ministry, and I've told this to so many people, I haven't told it to you. Let me explain it. You gave me opportunities to preach, and you brought me into your inner circle, and you gave me time, and blah, 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 and on down. And he actually called the church office, and, and uh, so that I've, they sent me the voicemail. I have it saved. Played it the other day. His deep, he had, he had a preacher's voice. But man, this deep voice and his, his response and what it meant to him and that, that heart he had played in my life. And I'm so grateful because uh, about a year ago, the Lord took him home. I'm so grateful that, you know, but, you know, as we grow as disciples, we got to be loyal. Are people going to offend us? Yeah. Are those pe peers that we do life with, are they all going to do it perfectly? No. What about those people that we're investing in? Are they always going to do everything right now? They're going to hurt us. It just happens. It's ministry. Look at Jesus. His 12 all ran, right? 
But as we grow as a disciple, we're to be people of grace. We're to be people of forgiveness. We're to be people, you know, we love to tell the story of the prodigal son, right? Well, aren't we as a disciple kind of like to be his father? So when he turns around and comes home, he finds us there with open arms? Loyalty. Loyalty. Four pieces. And so the question is, do we show loyalty to those that God has brought into our life as our mentors, as our peers, as the one that we're pouring in? Let me finish with this. The reality is, as a disciple, we're supposed to be coming like Jesus, right? Jesus, Jesus was humble. We, we just read about it. He came from heaven to, to die in our place. He was humble. Jesus was tested. He, he went out into the wilderness. He was tested all the way to the cross for us. Jesus was committed. Jesus went and died, paid for our sins. Jesus is loyal. Now even as his children, when, when we still don't always follow, we always don't appreciate, he's still there. We're to come like him. That's what he calls us to do. And if you don't know Jesus, man, that's where it all begins. He died for you. He paid the penalty for you so that you could be his child. You could become his disciple.